0: Well, good morning. It's good to be with you and share from God's Word. As Steve said, we are getting close to finishing up this series on Genesis chapters 1 through 3. And this is the second-to-last sermon before we finish. We started back in August, if you can believe all that time has gone by. And next week, we will wrap it up just before our Advent season begins. So today, we are in Genesis chapter 3, Verses 14 through 19, probably on page 3 for you. And you recall, putting this back into the context of these three chapters, you recall in chapter 1 that the story began with the explosive power and brilliant work of God's creation. And then at the pinnacle of all of God's design was the man and woman, humanity, God's image bearers. God brought the man and the woman together in marriage. He placed them in the garden for work. And he charged them to make babies, to multiply. And he also charged them to subdue creation. That is to cultivate and spread the garden so that its beauty and fruitfulness would fill the earth. But God also put limits On the man and woman. One limit, to be precise. They were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. However, as Steve has shown us over the last couple of weeks, the woman is deceived and the man failed to lead and protect her from deception. And so they ignored the limitation that God had given them, they broke God's law. They decided, we want to find joy, peace, security, and freedom on our own terms. We want to do things our way, apart from God's loving direction. And last week, we saw how God then confronts the man and woman after they sinned. And it's interesting. In this confrontation, God only asks them questions. Where are you? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? What is this you have done? So in this confrontation, God only and patiently asks questions. He doesn't jump down their throats, as it were. And in their answers to the questions, the man and woman blame shift and deflect responsibility Away from themselves. Well now, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, the questions are over. And what we see in these verses is God sentencing the man and woman for their sin. And justice will be served. So, for our reading, I'll go back to verse 8 so that we can catch the story in its full swing Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 through verse 19. And of course, we'll focus on verses 14 through 19. So, brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. And the man and woman heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And the man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock And above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, these are sobering words that we've heard now, your word of judgment over humanity's sin, over our sin, our first parents. God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, open our hearts that we could rightly receive such a sobering word and learn from it and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, Al Franken, Michael Oreskes, Mark Halperin, Bill O'Reilly, Roger Ailes, and the list could go on and on and on. Movie executives, actors, politicians, leading media figures, all of these men in power who in recent days have been accused of sexual assault or sexual harassment of some sort. The last couple of weeks have been overwhelming as it seems like each day we check out the news and more allegations have surfaced, allegations of another well-known man in authority who has abused his position of power and influence in order to force himself onto a woman without their consent. And gratefully, the public outcry against such behavior has been loud and widespread. This is wrong. This is not okay for anyone to behave like this. And so investigative news articles have been published. Social media campaigns have been launched. You may recall the hashtag MeToo campaign. Television news reports have explained details and shown pictures of perpetrators and their victims. There's this righteous uproar that's occurring in our society. And as I've listened to podcasts and watched news reports, it's clear to me that a big part of this public outcry is a call for justice. Will these men face no consequences for what they've done? Will the results of their sin simply be, well, that's the way it is? Will there be no judgment? No justice? You see, as humans made in the image of God, we reflect, to one degree or another, God's intolerance against sin. There's this deep sense that something should be done about the wrong in the world, What will be the consequences of sin? What will be the results of man's rebellion against our Creator's rule? Well, the answers to that question is where we stand in the story of Genesis 1 through 3. God has patiently questioned the man and woman about their actions. He graciously tolerated their hiding and blame-shifting, but now the sentence is handed down. Now we will see the wages of our sin. And you see, it's important to ask, not just where's the judgment for those sinners out there, but more importantly, what are the consequences of our sin? What will be the results of our rebellion against our Creator's rule? Well, as we look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, we will see God deliver three different consequences for our rebellion. Justice must be served. Life cannot go on as if nothing happened. And so the first consequence of our rebellion, rebellion destroys your identity. As we look at the nature of God's judgment what we notice is that it affects some of the fundamental aspects of the man and woman's created nature. So, for example, the woman is biologically equipped with the ability to bear children. The capacity to hold and nurture life is built into her physical form. And this life-giving, life-preserving role is distinct for her existence. The man can't do it. And it's right at this unique and fundamental part of her existence where the curse falls. Verse 16, God speaks to the woman. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And My wife asked me at this point to call for any amens. For many mamas out there, I've seen it happen, and it looks painful, but I didn't feel it. God's purpose for humanity was to multiply, to fill the earth with more of His image bearers. But now, in this experience that's central to her calling, birthing babies, the woman will feel the effects of sin and God's judgment against it. Furthermore, for the man, central to his calling was to work the garden, and in so doing, extend the boundaries of the garden and subdue creation. But not anymore. Things cannot be the same going forward. As we'll see next week, the man and woman will be banished from the garden. And here's what God says work will be like now for the man. Verse 17. God says, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field, not the plants of the garden. Verse 19 By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. In the garden, the man's job was cultivating, tending, keeping, and pruning this flourishing paradise. But outside the garden, the ground can be rock hard, and it'll have these troublesome, annoying plants, thorns and thistles, he calls them. They choke out life instead of enabling it. Each one of these curses on childbearing and work include pain, sweat, frustration, setbacks, market crashes, failed investments, screams of anguish, miscarriages, stillbirths, and sometimes for the mother, even death through complications in pregnancy and delivery. All of these experiences are signs that things are not the way they were meant to be. Pain in child labor and difficulty in work are signs. They're reminders that God's design for life has been corrupted by our sin and His righteous judgment against it. Now there's one more sign. There's one more reminder And it comes at the tail end of God's sentencing here. End of verse 19. God says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man and the woman were made to live. At the man's creation, God breathed life into him. So in this unique and very personal way, God filled the man with his life-giving breath or spirit. And then in the garden, God gave the man and woman unlimited access to the tree of life. Eat and live, God says. But the man and woman acted lawlessly. They crossed God's boundaries, and things cannot stay the same anymore. Justice must be served. Pain in childbearing, pain at work, and death in life. In these ways, God's judgment against sin strikes at the heart of who we are, who we were created to be. So, first consequence of our sin, rebellion's consequences strike at our identity as created beings mothers, workers, and living creatures. Secondly, our second consequence we see rebellion creates collateral damage. What we mean by this is that it's not just ourselves as mothers, workers, and living creatures who are affected by God's curse against sin. Rather, sin's curse extends into other relationships. And what human relationship is most central to the storyline of Genesis up until this point? It's the only human relationship in Genesis up until this point. Marriage. Marriage is central to the purposes of God to fill the world with His image bearers. The marital relationship is intended to define so much of our identity, whether it's our own marriage, if we get married, or the marriage of our parents. And what we'll see is that God's judgment against sin strikes at the heart of this most important identity-forming relationship. And so look again, verse 16. This comes as God addresses the woman. He says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband. Sorry, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, what does God mean here? He says to the woman, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Well, to communicate what I think god is getting at i want to show you a couple of slides this first one demonstrates the authority structure that god built into creation of course you see god himself at the top he's the creator his word is powerful his name is the lord indicating his authority over all and then under him is the man The man is created first by God, and you recall from Genesis 1 that God gave the man and woman dominion over all the animals. So you see them there on the bottom. The man expresses his authority over the animals by naming them. He has naming rights over the animals because he has authority over the animals. But you also recall from Genesis chapter 2 a few weeks ago that the woman was created for the man, to be a helper suitable for him. And in that passage, Adam, the man, just as he authoritatively names her woman, or just as he authoritatively names the animals, he also authoritatively names the woman. And next week, we'll see again that he names her Eve. So, he names her twice, actually. Furthermore, in that message on Genesis 2, we talked about how the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head or the authority of the church. So this is the authority structure built into creation. And what we want to clarify for you before we move on, however, is that this authority structure does not demonstrate difference in value, especially as it regards the man and the woman. The man and the woman are of equal worth, equal value in God's eyes and in the eyes of the church. However, equal value does not mean they don't have different roles. It's similar to the Trinity. God the Father and God the Son are of equal value. They are equally God, but they have different roles. And God the Son even submits to the Father's plan for Him to come and save us. So this is very controversial in our society and even very controversial in many churches today. But we want to be clear that this is a structure that communicates authority, not one that communicates value. Men and women are equal but different. Well, now I want to show you another chart, if you will. When Satan comes in to infect the world with sin, he does so by totally inverting this structure of authority. First, he uses the animal to lead the woman into deception. And then, as God says in chapter 3, verse 17, the man obeyed the voice of his wife. In other words, he is following her lead and thereby disregarding the ultimate authority that is God Himself. And so this whole structure of authority is inverted. God was at the top, now He goes to the bottom. The animal on the bottom, now He goes to the top. And the man was over the woman, but now she's leading him. So now back to chapter 3, verse 16. Now that sin has entered the world, God says, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. In other words, you guys, husband and wife, are going to get stuck in this pattern of having contrary, conflicting desires. The woman was made to complement the man, not compete for control. Bible scholar Gordon Wenham puts it this way. He says, under the curse... Those who were created to be one flesh are now tearing each other apart. Under the curse, those who were made to be one flesh are now tearing each other apart. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Have you ever experienced marital strife, marital conflict? The CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, it's a federal government organization that helps manage and understand public health in this country. The CDC reports that, quote, one in three women and one in four men have been victims of some sort of physical violence by an intimate partner within their lifetime. 33% of women... 25% of men have been victims of physical violence in a domestic setting, in a household setting. And that's just the cases of physical attacks. How many more aggressive shouting matches? How many more violent outbursts through punching a wall or throwing a dish? Have you ever experienced marital strife, marital conflict in your own marriage? Or witnessed it in your parents. Friends this is not the way. It was meant to be. Sin has corrupted God's design. And these terrible fights. The contrary desires. Are not the results. Of God's design. But the results of God's righteous judgment. Against our sin. John Collins is another. Bible scholar, he comments on Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, and the curse on the marriage relationship. He says, this verse describes, quote, a condition of human marriages that is all too familiar, namely competition for control. The proper remedy is a return to the creational pattern of the man's leadership, loving leadership, not dominating. But sadly, so often for us still, that kind of leadership is not the case. And the competition for control and the marital conflict continues. The collateral damage of sin between the man and the woman. The consequences of sin strike right at the heart of our identity and our purpose. to bear children to work and to be married. Third consequence. And gratefully, this one is totally different. Third consequence of our sin. Rebellion ravages the earth. Hope in God's ultimate restoration. Thanks be to God. Laced within these pronouncements of judgment is hope. Look again at verses 14 and 15. The first one to receive his sentence of judgment is the serpent. God says to him, verse 14, because you have done this, cursed are you. Now, this is significant because graciously, the man and the woman were never directly cursed, the ground is said to be cursed. I think we can say that the experience of childbearing and relating in marriage is cursed. But the man and the woman themselves are not cursed. However, for the serpent, God comes right out with it. Cursed are you. This liar, deceiver, this wicked one is cursed flat out. And the enemy of mankind is cursed of God. Take heart, friends. Let's keep going. Verse 14. God's still speaking to the serpent. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. So this animal... Possessed by the dark power, tried to exalt itself over human authority, over divine authority even. And so God puts him in his place, low, on the ground, eating dust. The enemy of God, the deceiver of mankind, is now humiliated and cursed to lick the ground all the days of his life. Don't mess with God and his people. God continues, verse 15. He's not done with the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. So he says to the serpent, you and the woman, you two who tried to team up and find a way to live life apart from my word, remember chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, You two guys became involved in this conversation, trying to convince yourselves you could enjoy life apart from my word. You two are now going to be at odds with one another. I will put enmity between the serpent and the woman. And then he adds, enmity between the serpent's offspring and the woman's offspring. And then referring to a specific one of the woman's offspring, he says, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this word of judgment against the serpent, in this word of judgment against the serpent, we also hear a word of promise. That there will be one, one who is born of woman, who will deliver a blow to the serpent's head. This specific offspring of the woman will bring down his heel upon the skull of the serpent. And it's implied, I'm confident, that a headshot is a death shot. And so included within this judgment against the serpent is a promise. To Adam and Eve, as bad as things are going to be for them, it is promised that their deceiving enemy will be defeated. But notice the one who crushes the serpent's head does not get away unharmed. Apparently, as the offspring of the woman is crushing the serpent's head, the serpent simultaneously bites his heel. And friends, this is the glorious truth that's been revealed to us in the New Testament. The Lord Jesus Christ is the offspring of woman here promised in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. We could look at Revelation 12 and many other places in the New Testament that connects Jesus with the promise to crush the serpent. Jesus is our promised champion who leads God's people into victory over sin, Satan, death, and hell. But He didn't get away unscathed, did He? Our champion though He is, He didn't get away unharmed, did He? No, Jesus was bitten hard and deep by the power of sin as He hung on the cross and suffered for what we've done. This is the gospel. This is the good news revealed to us even here in Genesis chapter 3. As Jesus crushed the serpent's head and ended his reign of darkness, Jesus was simultaneously bitten by sin's power as he suffered on the cross. At one and the same time, The cross is this glorious instrument whereby Satan is defeated and our sin is forgiven. On the other hand, the cross is also this gruesome display of God's judgment against our sin and the murder of the Son of God. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise His heel. Salvation, victory, and the bruising of the Son of God all at once. So what will be the consequences of our sin? What will be the results of our rebellion against our Creator's rule? Well, there's massive consequences and there is stern justice that strikes right at the heart of our identity. And at the same time, In the same sentence hearing, Adam and Eve got to hear this promise that their enemy would be defeated, that way on down the line, there would be an offspring of woman who would win back God's people, who would crush the head of the serpent, though he would be bruised himself. Will you receive that same promise this morning? That's the big idea of the sermon this morning, that God judges sin, yes, but God also saves sinners. And on the cross, Jesus was judged in our place, crushing the head of the serpent so that we could be saved from the consequences of our own crimes. God's judgment is real and painful, but His word of judgment is also laced with hope. Will you receive and rejoice in this same word of judgment and hope spoken so long ago in Genesis chapter 3? I pray so. Let's pray together. Father, again, what a humbling Passage of Scripture to hear you righteously pronounce judgment even on those you love, even on those you created. And Father, we've all experienced the curse of sin in our world and in our own lives. So we come before you humbled, we come before you low ourselves. Father, I also pray that you would raise us up from there, that like Adam and Eve, we would cling to that small promise that unfolded in this wonderful plan of redemption, this small promise that the seed of woman would come, the Lord Jesus, and crush our enemy and offer us forgiveness and free us from the consequences of our sin we so rightly deserve. And so, Father, work by your Holy Spirit in our hearts now. Open our eyes to see the glory of this promise and its fulfillment. Open our hearts to receive this promise. And so stand strong as we move forward through our week, trusting in you and hoping in the Lord Jesus. We pray to you in his name.